What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of True Crime Society Podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It is Friday, June 5th at the time of recording in the U.S. It's pretty hot here. I'm sweating right now. The room I'm recording in doesn't have a fan, so (laughs) just keep me in your thoughts. (laughs) Don't melt away. I might. If I disappear, I just melt it away. (laughs) (laughs) But I know last episode, if you listened... Which you should have. If not, yes. go back and listen. Go and to listen, it. and then come back. <laughs> <laughs> that I said how there was always some sort of update right after we finished recording. We do have a little tiny update. It's not groundbreaking or anything like that. But someone who listened to the podcast well, it is literally groundbreaking when you hear. About oh my it, god! But- <laughs> I'm editing anyway. that out. Just kidding. It's <laughs> <laughs> such a dad joke. <laughs> it is. Um, we have a little tiny update about Chance. Well, maybe two little tiny updates. Yeah. One is that the friend, Matt Miller, he was running a Facebook group called Let's Start with a Chance. They did decide to delete or archive the group. Not for any particular reason, it seems like. He made a post about it, just saying that everyone's been a great help. And that was about it. And did he make um, a note about they were sick of the crazies, I think was the... I thought he said it's not because of the crazies. Oh, it's not because of the crazies. I could be Because I guess that's pr- people would have assumed. Yeah, okay. But just that, I guess it's probably just annoying to maintain. Yeah, and I guess there's nothing really yeah. happening in terms of it's that. It's like with our the groups, you have to worry and still keep an eye on it, even though there's not much going on with the case. But you never know what people are going to comment in there. Yeah, and what, yeah, what's going to happen in there. We also got a message from someone... Sent, they sent a message to the Facebook page. I'll read it out so I don't mess it up. But she wrote, hey, ladies, I've been waiting on pins and needles listening to your story about Chance. I live close where he went missing, and I agree that there are a lot of things missing. But the one thing you didn't mention is that Bailey's parents had concrete and dirt work going on in their backyard at the time Chance went missing. Days after he went missing, her parents rushed the contractors to pour the concrete and get it done. Seems like it's the last thing you'd be worried about when your son-in-law is missing, unless there's something to cover up. And so we thanked her and then she wrote back and said, and yes, the Lynn that speaks truth Lynn is over the top. And I scanned most of the stuff she puts on Facebook. She does have a video of the pad that was poured and she spoke to the contractor and he also agrees that it was very strange the way they went about everything. So if you guys want to go and check it out, you can look up Lynn Speaks Truth on Facebook um, and check out the video of the concrete slab. But that is interesting timing, isn't it, really? It's very Michael Shaver. It's like it's strange that it's like she says they had the work going on. So, I, you know, that was obviously maybe just a coincidence. But if they rushed the concrete, that would be something to look at maybe. Yeah, definitely. I'd like to know where her parents live, like in terms of, where the chance was last seen and maybe that's something we can look into and add to the blog well if they don't find him in five years maybe they'll start to be an awkward body shape dark spot (laughs) on the concrete just like michael shaver yeah the other thing that we've been looking at this week is the kobe and gianna bryant autopsy reports have come out and we've got them in our group death after dark if you guys are interested in checking them out they are quite graphic so we won't go through them here because I know some of you don't want to hear it. But Kobe's report, for example, is uh, 17 pages long and it goes through all his injuries and 
I guess the circumstances surrounding his death, it's it sounds like well they did, according to both reports, they both died basically instantly, which is one um small blessing, I guess, because you wouldn't want to live and survive the injuries that they both had. Yeah, the injuries are awful. So it said yeah. that if they if it wasn't immediately fatal, it was very rapid. Yeah. But if you're interested in it, definitely worth checking out. It's a little grim, but interesting at the same time. And I know that since we posted those autopsies, we've had loads of new people join it. We've also had loads of other autopsies posted. So I know, for example, we have now Robin Williams, Brittany Murphy and her husband, Chester Bennington. Like there's if you any celeb autopsy, that's we've got most of them in the group. So if you guys are interested in reading them, come and join us and check them out. Mm-hmm. We're going to do an episode in a few weeks, I think, on interesting deaths from the group as well. So something a little bit different coming up. Yep. Anything else been happening? <gasps> Madeline McCann, we have to. Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, my God. Thank God I thought of it. So there was actually a huge update this week that they have a prime suspect in the Madeline McCann case, which happened in, she went missing in 2007, I think? Yeah, 2007, yeah. Um, I think most people know the story. She was on vacation with her family in Portugal at a resort. They were eating dinner. She was in the room with her other siblings, and she vanished, and there was no sign of her. I know a lot of people have blamed the parents. Um, I always thought it was the parents, I have to say, so this is a little bit shocking to me but I still can't quite understand how they've found this guy all of a sudden I don't know if I saw so they identified this guy who is a German national that Christian Bruckner he's 43 and he lived in the area at the time as like a transient in a van or something and he also I know that it says he also carried out a brutal rape at a villa less than a mile oh oh it was too 72 year old American woman yeah. Um, but it was less than a mile from where Madeline went missing. And the, he did break into that woman's house to carry out the attack. So I guess that's kind of similar. But I still don't quite understand how, you know, they've come around this. I know he's in jail in Germany now. So he was living, I think it's Praia de Luz is how you say it in Portugal. He was living there. He was living in a Portuguese registered VW camper van. But he also had a German registered Jaguar at the time. And the day after Madeline went missing, he transferred ownership into the name of another person in Germany. It said that he, to my understanding, when I looked at it, he was, it, I don't know why I can't form a sentence right now. He, <laughs> they have record of him talking to someone in the villa or maybe in the resort an hour before it happened. And I saw he also got a phone call that night. It says the suspect is known to have received a call between 7.32 and 8.02 on the night the child vanished. So they're asking for information on the phone numbers which they've listed. They want the person who called the suspect to come forward. And I've just found this other article where they say that this man was actually identified by investigators back in 2017. And it says the Met's Deputy Assistant Commissioner Stuart Cundy has said, I'm not going to give details on how it was known, but it was known before we received the new information in 2017. Since then, we have continued to work closely with colleagues in Portugal and Germany. 
And the other article I read today as well is that they're also now looking at this Christian Bruckner in relation to the disappearance of another child. A six-year-old boy went missing in the Algarve 24 years ago. It says he disappeared as he ran towards the sea and their family thought he'd drowned. And that was 25 miles away from where Madeline went missing. They just, all they found was his clothes left lying on the beach, which is very creepy. Yeah. This guy sounds like a creep. Like I'm reading all about his things now. Well, and I saw it came to light kind of because on the anniversary of her disappearance most recently, which I think was only a month or so ago. Yeah. Or maybe on some anniversary because I don't know where he was a month ago. But he was in a bar and said to whoever he was with that he knew what happened to Madeline McCann. And then he showed the person a video of him raping someone. I don't know if it meant raping Madeline McCann or any of the other rapes he's been convicted of. But I guess he admitted that to someone. It says he's also linked to the disappearance of a five-year-old girl who's Inga Gierich, I think is how you say her name in May 2015, and she was actually dubbed Germany's Maddie McCann. Hmm. He's, he's also taken out a sex attack on a nine-year-old girl, exposed himself to a six-year-old, and a friend who lived above his shop claims he was violent. He used to beat up his underage girlfriend and locked his dogs in a shop for weeks while the couple went on holidays to Spain and Portugal. I have so opened the um, notice that the police put out, if you want me to read part of it. Yep. So they put out like a press release and it says the disappearance of Madeline McCann in Praia de Luz, Portugal on 3-5-2007, call for witnesses. They're dubbing it as a murder already. I mean, I guess that's easy to assume. Yep. But they said the public prosecutor's office are conducting investigative proceedings for suspected murder against a German suspect. On three five two thousand seven, then three year old. Oh, I didn't realize she was so young. Yeah, three year old Madeline Maddie Beth McCann disappeared without a trace from a hotel complex in Praia de Luz, Portugal. In this connection, on behalf of uh, I don't know how to say Braunschweig Public Prosecutor's Office, yeah, Braunschweig, yeah, is conducting investigative proceedings for sus- suspected murder against a forty three year old. German national currently in detention in a different manner. The suspect lived more or less permanently in the Algarve between 1995 and 2007. For several years, he lived in a house between Lagos and Praia de Luz, among other places. He had several occasional jobs, among other things, in the gastronomy business in the Lagos area in this time period. In addition, there is information suggesting that he also earned his living by committing criminal offenses such as burglaries of hotel complexes and holiday flats as well as trafficking in narcotic drugs. Further, the suspect was sentenced on numerous occasions to prison terms for sexual abuse of children in the past. The investigating authorities know of several vehicles used by him, his point of contact, and a Portuguese mobile number. I found um, a little timeline as well. So it says, in 2016, he was found guilty by a German court of sexual abuse of a child with possession of child pornography. And in 2017, he became a suspect after he told a friend he knew all about what happened to Madeline. He was arrested in Milan in 2018 over a rape that was carried out in 2005, and he's in a Kiel prison for seven and a half years. So I did read something that he might be up for parole soon which is maybe why it's all coming out now. But 
it does sound like this is probably one of the more promising leads, I guess, that they've ever come up with. Yeah. And this guy does seem capable of doing it, which is, you know, must be terrible for her family if he is involved to have to think about what happened to her. Yeah, and in the press release from the police, they listed the phone numbers used and the cars, the Jaguar and the van. And I guess they're asking what they're looking for is, can you provide information on the vehicles used by the suspect? Can you provide information on the above mentioned telephone numbers? Can you provide information on the houses and rooms in the photographs or on other points of contact? And did you stay in the Algarve in the beginning of May 2007? Do you have any image material such as holiday photographs and videos from that time? I can't believe they're just asking now for people who were there at the time to send through their photos. I feel like they must have asked before. Surely. Maybe they're just trying to do a like renewed, now that this guy, you know, maybe people will look through their photos again and see if he is in any photos or. Yeah. Well, hopefully that'll bring an end to that. That's one of the cases I thought would probably never be solved, but. Yeah, but it's 2020 and you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> we put that on the list for July. <laughs> All right, so today's episode, we're going to be talking about Emery Connery and Bailey Smith. Um, They are a murder-suicide situation, but it's different than the usual murder-suicide because instead of them being boyfriend-girlfriend, husband-wife, whatever the usual is, they were both cousins, and there seems to be no real resolution to what happened. So we're going to talk about what we think, and hopefully you guys can come up with some ideas and we can all have a chat about it. Yeah, we'd love to hear what if, you know, you're local and what everyone's saying. Can send yeah, us we need the local gossip. Yeah, <laughs> locals always have the best gossip. Mm-hmm. All right, so Emery Connery was 26 years old at the time this all occurred in 2019. She was born on September 21, 1992, and her parents were Sherry and Fred. And she, when she was born, she was born into a set of triplets. Her brothers were Clint and Kyle, both spelt with Ks, Clint, Kyle, and Emery. And the trio also had an older sister, Madison. When the triplets were attending Eastern High School in Reedsville, Ohio, they began taking weight training and aerobics very seriously. Emery competed in cross-country, track and field, and basketball while she was at school. Apart from her passion for fitness, she was also highly educated. After she graduated high school, she obtained a master's degree in health administration. In 2013, she became inspired to start weightlifting after one of her brothers, who was Clint, began competing. According to the website greatestphysiques.com, in 2014, at the age of 21, Emery appeared in her first show, which was the NPC Pittsburgh Championships. She didn't win, but she got some valuable experience that helped her in her future contests. She placed 14th and 9th in her debut show. She kept competing, and in 2017, she placed first in the Mountaineer Classic competition just three years after her debut. And along the way, she also became a successful fitness model. Her fitness-based social media accounts, she's got hundreds and thousands of followers. We've linked the ones that haven't been taken down on the True Crime Society blog. Her Insta is still up, and she has almost 300,000 followers. It's a public account, and you can just see all her photos on there. Um, you know, she's got lots of collaborations with product, fitness products and clothing companies. I'll just get it up. You can see just how crazy fit she was from her Instagram. And for what it's worth, she's absolutely beautiful, like stunning. Stunning. Yeah, she has alternated, I think, sometimes between kind of blonde and brown hair, but 
her last few photos, she was blonde. She's got like her body is unbelievable. It's so strong. You can see she's got a she's ripped. 24 pack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she just looks super, super strong. Like you can tell that she worked hard to get where she did. Mm-hmm. Um, one quote I found from Emery, she said, I have a passion for living a healthy lifestyle and helping others do the same. And she also said, it is my mission to help people change their lives, accomplish their goals and be more confident. She's also on the website, Girls With Muscle. There are almost 200 photos of her on there. So we know a little bit about Emery just based on her, you know, more public social media accounts and the few articles about her, but there's very little online about her cousin, Bailey Smith. Bailey was younger than Emery and he was 21 at the time they died. He was born around 1997 and his parents were Sean and Kelly and he had a sister, Jada. According to his obituary, Bailey graduated from Union High School in Big Stone Gap, Virginia in 2015. He went into training and he entered the police force in the area in 2018. He loved hunting, fishing, four-wheeling and working on cars and motorbikes. And based on what we can see on his social media accounts, he seemed to have a large group of friends who, you know, respected him. I think he has about a 1,000 friends on Facebook. I know that's not actually an indicator of how many friends someone has, but he just seems to be a nice, normal guy. You know, he likes spending time with his friends and family. Bailey and Emery were cousins. I'm 99% sure that their mothers are sisters. Her mother is Sherry Blanken and his mother is Kelly Blanken-Smith. Based on Facebook posts, even to this day, the family very, the both families are very close. In a recent post this year, Sherry congratulated Bailey's sister Jada on her graduation. So we'll get to what actually happened to Emery and Bailey. On March 9, 2019, both sides of the family attended a wedding in Big Stone Gap. They posted photos of the wedding online, basically, I'm assuming, straight away. Emery was wearing a hot pink dress with a black jacket and Bailey wore a plaid shirt. And in, there's one photo where they're actually standing next to one another with, I'm assuming, another relative and maybe a grandma or something like that. So there was plenty of photos of them on that actual night. At around 8pm, they decided to leave the wedding. Bailey and Emery left together. When this all came out, we didn't actually quite know what had happened. Um, all we know, knew at the time, is that at around 4am on the night after they left, so we're at March 10 now, residents who live near US 23, near Big Stone Gap, reported hearing gunshots and then also the sound of a car crashing. A 2015 GMC pickup that had been travelling north on Route 23 had run off the left side of the highway and travelled into a median. Police responded to the scene and they found both Bailey and Emery dead in the vehicle and they'd both suffered gunshot wounds. So news of their deaths broke very quickly. There were lots and lots of Facebook posts about the deaths, honouring you know, honoring them both. The town of Big Stone Gap organised a funeral procession for Bailey, which was held on March 13, so three days after they died. But there was no mention of any such fanfare for Emery. We found a clip um, that explains basically what the town did for Bailey and what he meant to the town. By Monday morning, the flag outside the Big Stone Gap Police Department was at half-staff, in Officer Bailey's patrol car in the parking lot. Food on the table for officers mourning the loss of their co-worker. Town manager Stephen Lawson says it's a loss that hits home. Uh, you know, your heart just sinks when you know, you know, you got a 21-year-old you know, person in your community, whether they're an officer or not, but when they've been serving their community and, and loved being a police officer. He would have did the job for free. And, uh, you know, it's instant tears and, you know, it really affects you. It affects our whole community. 
Virginia State Police back on scene Monday afternoon. We're told Officer Smith was one of two victims, the other 26-year-old Emery Connery. Both were found dead Sunday morning in a truck that crashed here along Route 23. My police chief informed me about 6 o'clock that uh, I needed to come to the scene, that uh, there's a possibility that one of the passengers was one of our officers. And that was confirmed that uh, we lost Officer Bailey Smith and um, there was another passenger in the vehicle with him, his cousin. For those who knew Officer Smith for years. You know, the biggest thing that, that I personally will miss is just that big grin. Like family friend Shug Hall, it's heartbreaking. And he is such a, a fixture in the community. He didn't know a stranger here where he'd grown up and, and he could just mingle with the people and connect. And he's just awesome. He's an awesome addition to our police force in town, along with being an awesome person. He was proud of, uh, proud of being a police officer in town. He just lived life. And, uh, you know, we lost, we lost a really good guy. There was a news article at the time by the Coalfield Progress that says the town went blue to honour Bailey Smith's memory as a nod to his police force service. Local businesses also put up blue ribbons and a wreath with Bailey's name and badge number inside the door of the town hall. An online fundraiser for Bailey's family raised over $15,000. I think there was also a secondary one that raised maybe $1,000. To be fair, this was before people knew it was a murder-suicide, right? Um, I, I think it like because we'll get to it in a second, but that, it was only a few days before. So March, it was March fourteen. So it was, I, I don't know. I think it was all kind of happening alongside each other. I'm fairly sure that the fifteen thousand fundraiser was still going on after they knew it was a murder suicide. Hmm. Anyway, so on March fourteen, so four days after they died, Tracy Cooper from the medical examiner's office in Roanoke. Is that how you said it? Yep. Confirmed that both Bailey and Emery each died from a single gunshot wound to the head. Just a short while ago, the Virginia Medical Examiner's Office in Roanoke told News Channel 11 that Smith is believed to have shot Connery and then turned the gun on himself. The Medical Examiner's Office said both died of gunshot wounds to the head. She said that following the autopsies, Bailey's cause of death was listed as a suicide and Emery's cause of death was homicide. On the same day, a Virginia State Police spokeswoman, Corinne Geller, also confirmed that Bailey's police service weapon was not the gun that was used in the murder-suicide. Which makes it, did he have two guns on him at the time? I've never ever seen it mentioned if his police service gun was in the vehicle anyway, but, you know, he wasn't on duty, so maybe he didn't have it with him. Yeah, I don't know. So anyway, after this was all confirmed that he was the killer, things just went crazy online. Everyone was questioning online why Emery's death was essentially being played down and why Bailey was being celebrated so publicly. Happening today, a procession is expected to take place for Officer Bailey Smith and then a private funeral as well. But before his family gives him their final goodbyes, those that knew Officer Smith were able to do the same yesterday. A public visitation was held at the auditorium of Union High School. That's Smith's alma mater. And while the circumstances of his death still elude the public, people in the community continue to emphasize how much the 21-year-old touched the lives of those around him. He knew my wife fairly well. She works at a local office here in town, and she or she would call him, and he would come and walk her to her car after hours, uh, just to make sure she was safe going to the car. And actually, had told her to never do that unless he was there. So he was just that kind of guy. He, he was a guy you wanted around, and 
and he always helped the community any way he could. There's, you know, clips from townspeople talking about what a great person Bailey was and how much he meant to the town, but there's just nothing that I can find that's similar for Emery. It's weird how they're basically memorializing him like he was God's a hero. Gift. Yeah. Well, and like absolutely nothing about her, or she would just be like a second. And also, R.I.P. Emery, after writing a long paragraph about how yeah, great. Like, wow, he's so he amazing. We've got, I've got one I can read out in a minute. But like, even em- uh, Emery's mother made a post and it said, I love you, Bailey boy. Take care of my baby girl. And she shared the procession. Like, that, that's. No matter how much my mom loves my cousins, if one of them <laughs> murdered me, she would not be posting like how much she loves them at that point. It's just so strange. There's another family member who made a post. I'll read it out because it's not that long, but it says, to that little mean and cocky boy, I had the pleasure and honor to watch grow into a man whose smile would light up a world. The first one to call me old man that broke my heart, knowing he was right. To the one who called me about motorcycle questions, the one I got in a little trouble for helping him buy that rocket ship, Dinah and his mama a little mad over it. To the one who would swim across the lake and had no fear. To my cuz, just want to say, just want to say too late something I wished I would have told how proud I am of you. You was a light in a dark world, a heart like no other, and a protector, a wonderful son and brother. And a young man whose light was put out too soon. And this goes on and on. And then he goes, I couldn't imagine the road ahead for the family and the loss of two family members. Ask all to say a prayer for peace. I'm sorry for your losses and just know that I love you. Gone way too soon, Bailey Smith and Emery Connery. <laughs> so she gets a mention at the very, very end, which... I know I've never like in all the murder suicides I've seen I've never ever ever I I honestly cannot think of another one where they've celebrated the murderer you would think he was the victim absolutely and there was even talk before it emerged that I I I was certain that she must have been the killer because I'm like why is there absolutely nothing for her and everything for him yeah and you know I'm obviously we don't know what they did in private posts and everything we're just basing all this on the public publicly available information it was just very, very unusual. So all the locals in the area weren't quite as quick to forgive and forget as the family seems to be. I've put some screenshots up on the blog so you can see what everyone was saying, but one of the posts said, I am from the area where this happened. My thoughts and prayers are with the family. I am sickened at the memorization of a murderer just because of the position they held. The facade of the murderer was exposed that fateful night. There is no place in a civilised society for the memorialising of a cold-blooded murderer. An entire family has been ripped apart for what? Rip Emery, you were taken too soon. Your light will shine bright. And one other one that I thought was interesting, someone wrote, my thoughts are with Emery Connery's family, murdered way too soon, hashtag demand answers. And then someone replied and said they won't release anything as he was a cop. And then the original poster said, exactly, if a civilian did it, it would break wide open. They got to let it die before they released the info. If they do release anything at all, I bet it just gets swept under the rug, which is what seems to have happened essentially even now after everything else has come out. It does seem like maybe because of his police, you know, force service. I feel like the whole story was like snuffed out because he was a police officer, but I don't feel like people are memorializing because memorializing him because he's a police officer i just i, guess I still don't get why why everyone knew him in the town if he was a town a police officer and you know a little town maybe that's why everyone seemed to know and have a story about him yeah but, i just don't think 
the posts like glorifying him have to specifically do with him being a cop. But I do think no. that's why the story was Swept brushed under, under the rug. Yeah. Emery's celebration of life service was held on March 23 at her former high school. The family asked for memorials to be made to the Emery Connery Flying Eagle Scholarship Fund. I tried to have a look online and see if I could see anything else about what the scholarship was for, but there isn't anything that I can really see that's public. I did see that in May 2020, one student received $1,000 from what's called the Emery Connery Memorial Scholarship, which I'm assuming is the same thing. Yeah. So six months after Bailey and Emery died, we're now at September 2019, the Lee County Commonwealth Attorney, H. Fuller Cridlin, released his report on the case and we finally found out a bit more about what happened. So the timeline of the night is, as we knew, Bailey and Emery attended the wedding in Big Stone Gap. They left the wedding together at around 8pm and it's believed that Bailey was driving. They drove to Johnson City, Tennessee, which according to Google Maps is around 60 miles and just over an hour away from where the wedding was. They arrived there at around 9pm. I've read some rumours online that the point of them going to Johnson City was so Bailey um, and Emery could go out to celebrate his 21st birthday and she wanted to take him out on the town apparently whether or not that's true how old is she again uh, I think she was 26 I'll just double I check. think so too 26 26 okay so while they were in Johnson City Bailey parked his car accidentally in a restricted area and the car got towed he somehow, I don't know what time or anything, but at some point he managed to recover the vehicle from the towing company. Bailey and Emery met with Bailey's friends and they went to two bars in Johnson City that night. They consumed alcohol at both the bars and the friends have said it was a normal evening, nothing really seemed to be amiss, like there was no fight or no nothing unusual about the night. So they got there at 9pm and they decided to leave around 1.15am. They got into Bailey's car, Bailey was driving again and Emery was in the front passenger seat and there was nobody else in the vehicle. I've seen some online comments possibly that they maybe dropped someone else off at some point in the night but I think when they left at 1.15 to begin their journey home there wasn't anyone else in the car as far as I can have ever seen reported. Yeah, I saw people who are local on Reddit saying that there was a third party, but they were dropped off hours before yep. anything happened. So still speculation. And I've never, but- I've never seen t- either, like I haven't seen the people who they were with have come forward. Like obviously they were Bailey's friends, so I'm assuming they're not going to spill the beans about what happened, but. Too bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, so around half an hour after they left Johnson City, it was 1.46 a.m. and this was the last time that Emery's phone had any activity. She searched, I'm assuming on Google, for the location of a McDonald's restaurant and her phone was not used again for anything after this time. They got to the McDonald's drive through in Gray, Tennessee at 1.54 a.m. There's CCTV, CCTV footage of them in the car and you can see that they're the only two people in the car and they're still Bailey's driving and she's in the front passenger seat. Right before they got to McDonald's, Bailey started a conversation on FaceTime with his friend and they, this continued as they went through the drive-through. The friend has said that Bailey was clearly intoxicated when they spoke. After the FaceTime ended, Bailey made no other calls that night. He did send a few texts, I'm assuming, while he was driving and told, Emily, told people that Emery was asleep. He also declined one incoming call. I haven't seen who from, but he did decline it right before the car crashed. 
So that night, uh, it was a daylight, daylight savings changeover. So we're now at about 4 a.m. We've lost an hour. It's actually March 9th is my birthday, not to oh. give out too much information, but my birthday <laughs> always, like the weekend always falls on daylight savings time, which is the worst when I used to go out and party. I'm too, your hour. much too old for that now, <laughs> but it would go from, I think for, it's either one o'clock yeah. to three yeah. o'clock or two o'clock to four o'clock. So it's like, not that late at one moment, and then I think all of a sudden it's know, 4 a.m. I don't know if it, I'm assuming it's the same, but I'm assuming that here it was 2 to 4 because we have stuff up till nearly 2 a.m. and then all of a sudden it's 4 a.m. So I think it yeah, might be it's 2, so annoying. 2 a.m. was the change. I would always lose an hour of birthday. <laughs> so we're at 4 a.m. now, around 4 a.m. Their car crashed into the mile marker, which we knew, in Lee County, Virginia. According to Google Maps, which I've looked up, Lee County is about 55 miles or an hour's drive from the last stop at McDonald's. So this matches up with, you know, how far they should have traveled in the time. So it seems unlikely that that they stopped anywhere else. That seems like they just went straight through from McDonald's to the car accident. Um, I'm assuming neighbors called the police because they've said they heard the crash. And a Virginia State Police trooper arrived on the scene at 4.36 a.m. He observed no damage to the vehicle apart from what had clearly occurred in the accident and both or all the windows of the car were rolled up. When he checked the people in the car, he immediately saw that they both had gunshot wounds. So he called the VSP Bureau of Criminal Investigation to come and check out the site. So the forensic investigators arrived at the scene a few hours after the crash. They determined that there had been no effort made to either break or accelerate before the crash. They found Bailey's gun or a gun was found in the vehicle on the seat near his midsection. In the next day or two, following an autopsy, Emery was found to have had one got gunshot wound to the face. She was struck by the bullet in her upper cheek and this injury killed her. Bailey was found with a gunshot to the right temple. Investigators determined that this wound was definitely self-inflicted. A third bullet was also found in the car. This had travelled through the driver's seat and did not strike anybody. All the bullets have been found to be fired from Bailey's gun and there was no evidence of a struggle. The airbags had deployed after the accident and blood spatter analysis showed that the shootings occurred before the crash. There was blood on the airbags and they could figure out, I guess, from the pattern that, that it had happened after the, the gunshots were fired before the airbags deployed. To me, trying to figure out where they were, I mean, I can assume where they were, but like where the gun was, how it said, found in the vehicle on seat near his midsection. I can't exactly picture how that is because your seat's like near your butt. So I'm how is the that, gun near your midsection? So he had it to the right temple. I know because you guys drive on the opposite side. So that seems like it would be right to me because the left would be the door for him. Is that right? Yeah. So I guess I'm he, assuming he shot. just fall. Yeah, so he probably had, like did it to Bailey, uh, Emery, and then so I assume would be like near the glove box. And I also don't kinda. get how there's a third bullet that traveled through the driver's seat. Like, did he miss or did she realize what was going on maybe and struggle? There's, um, which we'll talk about in theories as well, but one theory is that it was an accident and that he was reaching for his gun and that's, yeah, I don't know, maybe, yeah, I don't know. I still don't really understand why there would be a third one anyway because if it just went through the seat and didn't hurt anyone and it was an accident. Yeah, unless there's two accidental shots, which seems weird. But I don't get how it would go through the driver's seat anyways. Wasn't he sitting in the driver's seat? Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I would love to see some photos, which I don't think they've ever been released and they probably won't be, but I would love to know more about that. So one thing I found interesting is that what they've said is now the official, you know, account of what happened that night is different to what witnesses have said they heard. So there was a man called Clarence Toots Taylor and he lived just yards from the crash location and he said that he heard gunshots, five gunshots after the auto accident. Um, and as we said, the, you know, the report says that the gunshots occurred before the crash. Taylor said, I woke up at three and looked at the clock and I said, I've got four more hours before I have to go to church. And it wasn't long after that I heard that thump. I thought it was a rifle that went off at first, but it didn't crack like a rifle. And they asked if he'd saw or heard vehicles and he said, no, I didn't get up and look. Most of the time when I hear a shot around here, I always turn the light on and look at the clock. But I was so tired, I was worn out that day and I just rolled back over. I wish the Lord, I looked out the window. He said, bang, bang, bang. And then there was a hesitation and another bang, a hesitation and another bang. He said he didn't go outside to investigate, you know, and then the police came and I think must have questioned him later. He said, they came over and talked to me, but I told them I didn't hear that truck. But after I got to thinking, the thump I heard I thought was a rifle was that truck that hit the culvert. After that thump, it wasn't just a minute or two till the pistol went off. So that's interesting. Yeah. I don't know if it really makes a difference, but. I mean, it could just add to the fact that something is being covered up, if anything. I might add to my theory, which we can talk about at the end. <laughs> All right. So they took blood from Bailey and Emery. The results showed that Bailey was drunk. He returned samples. They took samples from different parts of his body, and those samples returned at blood alcohol content levels of 0.134 and 0.158. So the legal limit is 0.08, and this means that he was almost double the legal limit. And interestingly, Emery's blood alcohol content was under the legal limit. Which is weird. If it was his 21st birthday, why wouldn't she offer to drive maybe? Yeah. Or- Unless he insisted on driving for some reason. And this is a few hours after they left. So you think, you know, his blood alcohol content would have been even higher at the time that they left. So he would have been, sounds like, fairly, fairly drunk. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that was about the extent of the report. I'll read the conclusion word for word that the Commonwealth attorney released because I think it's quite interesting. It says... The autopsy's ballistics report, event data recorded from the vehicle, blood spatter analysis and physical evidence from the scene collectively and definitively prove that all activity was confined to the vehicle, that Smith and Connery were the only occupants of the vehicle, that Smith was highly intoxicated and operating the motor vehicle, that Smith's firearm discharged and killed Connery, and that Smith died as a result of a self-inflicted gunshot wound from his firearm before the vehicle crashed. Forensic evidence can tell us now how something happened. It cannot tell us why. We do not know and will likely never know exactly why this incident occurred. This is true of many crimes. Accordingly, we cannot reach a definitive conclusion as to whether the homicide was a result of an intentional or a reckless act by Smith. We do not believe the event was accidental because of Smith's level of intoxication. The act of handling a loaded firearm while operating a motor vehicle at nearly double the legal limit of intoxication, is at the very least a reckless act sufficient to support a charge of involuntary manslaughter. Such an act could also rise to the level of gross, wanton, culpable and showing a reckless disregard for human life. 
to support the elevated charge of felony murder. Our conclusions are based on our application of the law to the evidence. Ultimately, a jury of 12 Lee County citizens would have made the final determination of guilt, but because he did not survive the incident to be charged and finding that no surviving individual committed any criminal act, we are closing the case. There's still online speculation to this day about what actually happened that night. One of the things that we've looked up is that murder-suicide is generally a crime of passion, which means that the murderer commits the act against someone because of a sudden strong impulse such as sudden rage, and it's usually, you know, often not premeditated. So I wonder what made Bailey so angry that he killed Emery and then himself. We usually see murder-suicides between partners, like husbands and wives, boyfriend and girlfriends, or often estranged partners. Um, I saw, um, just to add, in I think in 2017, the report came out in 2018, they recorded statistics for, I think, like two months of murder-suicides, and it said 65% involve an intimate partner. And 96% were females killed by their partner. And I also, in my whole true crime life, I can't, and I I tried to Google and see if there was any other examples as well, but I cannot think of any other murder-suicide between a male and a female cousin. No. Like I can't, I literally cannot find one. So if you know one, please. Another interesting but kind of not shocking stat was that, oh my God. (laughs) Did you hear that? Yes. (laughs) Mike, that was so loud. (laughs) Olivia heard it. (laughs) Anyways, another stat that I found that is interesting but not shocking is that 82% of the murder-suicides were in the people's home versus Mm. a car on the highway. We are going to speak about what we, you know, some possible theories about what happened to Bailey and Emery, but I thought first now that we're on this track we could probably maybe speak a little bit more just about murder-suicides in general. So I had a look. In the USA, there is no national tracking system for murder-suicides. They've said that they estimate there's between 1,000 and 1,500 deaths per year in the US and the majority occur between intimate partners and most of the perpetrators are male. I know Stephanie sent me this website. I think it's called gunviolence.org and on there they've got a list of murder-suicides and just from this year alone, in the USA, there is 257 murder-suicides that they've listed. Those are probably just the gun-related ones. but Yeah, also so that's just gun. Nine out of ten murder-suicides involve a gun, so that's a lot of them. So that's 582 people already in half a year who have died from gun-related murder-suicides, which is, I found that interesting. I would love to see the figures for the this year and see if they're different. Yeah, I wish that we could somehow keep track of them. But yeah. I feel like there's so many that, not that they go unreported, but just are too small for people to find. Like if they don't I get think covered. a lot of the times in murder-suicide, it is just two people. It's the murderer and the other one person. So they don't get as much attention as, you know, the mass murder-suicides and things like that. So I also had a look just in terms of Australian murder-suicides. There's the Australian Institute of Criminology's National Homicide Monitoring Program, which is a very long name, and that has monitored homicides since 1989. So their um, data says that murder-suicides are quite rare. They recorded 5,486 homicides, and of those, 343, or 6%, were classed as murder-suicides. 
80% of these in Australia were classed as intimate or family relationships. And then so the most common type of murder-suicide in Australia, which is interesting, is a parent killing the child, which was 38%, followed by intimate partner homicide, which was 31%. And then 82% of murder-suicides involved one offender and one victim only, which was interesting. Hmm. Um, I know I'm talking a lot about stats and stuff, but I just found this interesting. Um, I found an article from the Journal of the American Academy of Psychiatry and Law, and it's titled Murder-Suicide, a Review of Recent Literature. And in that article, they basically say there's a set of typologies that you can use to describe the relationship between the murder-suicide perpetrator and the victim. So they've said they are amorous jealousy, declining health, filicide suicide which is where a parent murders a child or you know multiple children before taking their own life and familicide which is where someone murders their entire family and the other final one is extra familial which is basically you know roommates or a random person so people who aren't related to them so what I did is I went through and I found um, for each typology of murder suicides I just found a few examples so you guys can see what we mean there's actually a murder-suicide local to me that was kind of a big deal for declining health. It was at Westchester Medical Center, the guy... He did it in the hospital room, didn't he? Right. They were both in their 70s. She was. She had some sort of terminal illness, but he went into the hospital on visiting hours like he did every day with a coffee for his wife and snuck in a gun and he shot her and himself and the family says it wasn't an act of love and it wasn't malicious i guess she was suffering Sick. yeah and he didn't want to live without her so very sad there's are you hear quite a few i i think it's even increasing you know a lot of elderly suicides which i think uh, murder suicides which i think are often because of declining health yeah so another example in health is in 2019, police in Louisiana were called to do a welfare check on two elderly sisters, Gwen Williams, who was 70, and her younger sister, and they also lived together, Sylvia Carson, who was 64. Gwen's daughter requested the check as Gwen had previously discussed committing suicide and not wanting to leave her sister alone. Police found the bodies in the apartment's living room. Sylvia was sprawled out on a couch with multiple gunshot wounds, and Gwen was found dead on a recliner with one gunshot wound. I found one for amorous jealousy. It's an Australian case, the case of Amelia Blake and her boyfriend, Brazil Gurung. So Amelia was found dead in her apartment in Newtown in Sydney, Australia, and her boyfriend, Brazil, was found dead too. She'd been travelling around and living the dream, according to a friend. Her boyfriend, Brazil, allegedly couldn't stand that Amelia wanted to leave Australia to do more travelling. He's said to have become passionately angry when he found out her plans. She was found covered with wounds and she had head injuries. One of Brazil's friends said Brazil was at the end of his rope. He was struggling with money issues, supporting his ex-wife and paying for his visa, and he had no one to support him. I know he was doing cocaine. I'm not sure if he did that night, but I think it could have driven him to what he did. He was probably using other stuff on the side. He was very lonely. He had no family or anyone there for him. So when she told him she was leaving, he couldn't stand it and became passionately angry. The friend grew concerned that Brazil was becoming obsessive over Amelia and that she thinks he flew into a rage when Amelia told him of her plans to leave the country. There's lots of amorous jealousy ones, especially, I think, between estranged partners when the partner gets a new partner. 
we see that quite often as well. Um, the next one is filicide. We'll just touch on this quickly as we're planning to do a whole episode on this case. This is basically where a parent kills their child or children. So one that's just so sad that we came across is in 2019, a woman who was 40 at the time, her name was Erin Pascal, and it was Christmas Day 2019. She drove her two children, Alison, who was four months old, and Andrew, who was 15 months, to the top floor of a Boston parking garage. Online reports say she threw the two children off the roof and then she jumped to her own death. This entire family in a matter of minutes, aside from the father who survives them, is gone. District Attorney Rollins says a 911 call was placed from the Pascal's West Roxbury home before Aaron Pascal likely committed double murder-suicide at the Renaissance parking garage in Roxbury. Her daughter Allison was four, her son Andrew one and a half. This horrible situation highlights the invisible struggles many members of our community confront and the devastation that can result. I read an article um, about her death and it said that in Massachusetts alone, 17 parents killed their children in the 10-year period from 2005 to 2015. The Suffolk County District Attorney Rachel Rollins told the reporters at the time, for a parent to come to the place in which they harm their children in this way indicates that their mental health struggles were severe and in need of immediate support. This Christmas Day tragedy demonstrates the urgency of addressing mental health, suicide and homicide. We have to do more to address these public health issues that impact all of us. There are so many cases lately that I can think of where a mother kills the child or children. I don't know if it's something that's increasing. I'd love to see the stats on that. Yeah, I feel like there's been a lot over the last year. You know, I know it is probably still more rare, but there's, I, th I feel like it's definitely increased. There's two more. We'll do Familicide, which we, in the group we covered the case of Michael Island from North Carolina earlier this year. He shot his dead his wife, their three kids, and the family dog before he turned the gun on himself. Someone went to the house to check on them and they called 911. He said, I'm at my son's house. I've been trying to reach them. None of them are answering. The car is in the driveway. Something's wrong and I need someone out here to do a wellness check. So police arrived and they found the entire family dead in separate rooms and each of them had suffered a single gunshot. There's deputies who worked that case and they had decades of experience and said that this was one of the most horrific crime scenes they've ever seen. I feel like Todd was supposed to be a family side, but he bitched out. Yeah, I feel like, I don't know if he ever planned for himself to totally go through with it, but I think that's what his maybe basic plan was. Yeah. One other quick case about familicide I found is um, it's an older one. It's from 2014 and it's about the Campbell family. Darren Campbell insisted one night that his family all get together for dinner. They had a mansion in Florida. I think they were paying like $5,000 a month rent or something. The next morning he killed his wife, Kimberly, who was 51, his son, Colin, who was 18, and his daughter, Megan. He then set the mansion on fire and then he shot himself in the head. Um, we found this interesting clip which outlines the psychology of murder-suicide in relation to the Campbell case. He believes and would rather see them dead than to live a life that he doesn't think he can control or take care of. Dr. Donna Cohen spent the last 15 years studying murder-suicides across the world. She says Darren Campbell will likely be labeled a family annihilator. This is where a person, usually the male, uh, rarely a female, 
uh, kills the entire family. She tells us cases like the Campbells are rare. In 2012, a study reviewed 600 cases of murder-suicide. Of those, only 3% involved family members. But she says she's not surprised investigators are looking into possible financial issues as a motivation for the killings. In all likelihood, the perpetrator living in this palatial home, you know, taking care of his kids, may have really been hurting inside and believes that they're as miserable as he is. She describes perpetrators of this type as having mental health issues, the need for control, and a perception they cannot do what needs to be done to keep their family together. The perpetrator doesn't think the way you and I think. They have black glasses on. They distort their world. Cohen points to data showing in a third of these cases, the perpetrator starts a fire to cover up their crime. The way of saying, Nobody's going to see the awful thing I did. They'll just see the ashes. And the final example I'll give for today is um, extrafamilial murder-suicide. And I've, I've, I've personally feel I've seen quite a lot between roommates or, you know, housemates. I guess that when you live closely with someone, tensions often rise up and people get mad. But I found one from May 1, 2020, so just last month. Austin Mansfield, who was 27, shot and killed his roommate, Trey Mickletree, who was 26, after they argued. According to the Mansfield Police Department public information officer, he said that police received a 911 call from Trey's parents around 8.30pm and they had told police their son had been shot. The police dispatched officers to the home and they heard multiple gunshots coming from inside. They believe that an argument happened between Austin and Trey in the living room and Trey was shot three times in the chest. Neighbours heard arguing and gunshots coming from the house before police arrived. They said that Trey survived his initial wounds and somehow made his way into a closet in the back of the house, which is really sad to me because he was obviously trying to hide. Mm. You would think, why else would you go into a closet? Anyway, at some point, Austin shot Trey one more time and this is the shot that killed him. The motive of the shooting is currently not known, Lewis said, and officials are currently performing forensic tests on the roommate's cell phones for more information. The police said it appears that Austin got really mad at Trey, but we're not sure why. We do know they had been friends since high school and there was no reason to believe something like this would happen. Now that we've spoken about some of the murder-suicide stats um, and, you know, examples of murder-suicide, I think it's even more obvious how rare what happened or seems to be rare what happened between Bailey and Emery is. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's just me, but I think it is. Um, no, I think it is. <laughs> so I had a look online to see if anyone had any, any more information. There's some interesting things which we'll go through. Um, one of the theories that I found online is that Bailey accidentally killed Emery while reaching for his gun for some reason. I know that the police have said it's not accidental, but I think they mean as if he made a series of choices that would have made him liable if he survived. But I still think it could have been, or it's a plausible theory that it could have been an accident and he didn't mean to kill her. So maybe he was reaching for the gun and the gun went off, which would explain, maybe explain why. One, there was also one other shot, which kind of explains it, I guess. But when he realised what he'd done and that Emery was dead, he took his own life. One online comment that I found, and it, obviously this is just this person's theory, but it could be what happened. He said, I heard he made a phone call before committing suicide. He said it was an accident. She was asleep and he was trying to get the gun out of the holster because it was uncomfortable. He accidentally hit the safety off. 
When he went to lay it on the console, that's when it went off. He freaked out, didn't think anyone would believe him, didn't know what to do. So I guess that's when he decided he couldn't go through with all the drama. I don't know, just what I heard. My only problem with that theory, and I guess this goes back to it could be misreported by police, was that if he accidentally shot Emery, wouldn't you think he would have pulled over first and just like in shock, like, oh my God, what did I do? Yeah. And then killed himself. But the way that police are saying it happened is that he shot himself while driving, which yeah. would have been after he shot her. So I feel like if you accidentally, if he accidentally shot Emery and then decided to kill himself, I feel like he wouldn't have just been driving during all that. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I like, but maybe, I do think yeah. the accident theory is more likely than some other theories, but I, I just don't know how it would have played out exactly. I also think if he did make a call, that might explain why people are, you know, so s- celebrating his death. And Emery's mother made a comment in a minute, which could also support the accident theory. So, yeah, it's a possibility. I, I read another art- um, comment where someone wrote, are you serious? No one, especially a police officer, accidentally pulls a gun, disengages the safety and fires shots, hitting the young lady in the head and then himself in the head. Of all the possible reasons and motives, this was no accident. My only other problem with that is if he was pulling the gun from where he had it holstered, like around his waist, how does he, I mean, I don't know, like to me, it'd be hard to accidentally shoot her in the head. Yeah. Like you think even, even if he said he was trying to put it on the console and it would go into her chest, you know, her chest or her stomach or something like that. On that same post, there's one more comment and they're like, they're all fighting about what happened. So Someone wrote, they were best friends, first of all, attended a wedding and then went to a club afterwards. Let me just guess there was some drinking. On the way home, a young guy with a carry in the small of his back reaches in to get it while driving, trying to place it in his console. Someone in the passenger seat asleep with their head against the window. He catches the gun on something. It discharges at the passenger. Passenger is accidentally shot. Young cop drinking a lot, shot his cousin and best friend. What would he do? It's just tragic. So that one, I guess, is kind of plausible. I don't, I don't think it was an accident, personally. Like, obviously, I don't know, but just based on I think the that would be, out of the theories, maybe I rank second, yeah. most likely. One other theory, which I also think is probably down the bottom, was that it was a suicide pact. So maybe Emery asked him to kill her and then took he took his own life, which, you know, again, why would they do it while driving? why all of a sudden, you know, it just seems like it's very strange timing and a strange way to do it. If it was a suicide pact, why would they have gotten McDonald's before? Unless yeah. they like, wanted McDonald's as their <laughs> last Final meal. meal. Like what would be the point in yeah. having McDonald's if you're like, oh, well, after McDonald's, we're going to kill ourselves. And they literally like could, even if they wanted to do it in the car, for, like I know a lot of people do commit suicide in cars because it's like an easier cleanup and it's not in the home and everything. But why wouldn't they just pull over and do it? They could have yeah. done it anyway. It doesn't need to happen while driving. I know like anyone could be depressed and commit suicide, but from what has been said about Emery, it seems like she really enjoyed her life and being healthy and trying yep. to have others also be healthy in their lives. I, not that I know her, but it just doesn't seem. I just feel like like in, in, in relation to that, a suicide pact is pretty rare and pretty hardcore. So I like, I can't see emery especially wanting to do it that way but obviously we don't know so the other um 
theory maybe is that Emery did something to Bailey that made him so mad that he snapped. So what could this have been? Emery was absolutely gorgeous. I know I have seen online speculation that Bailey was maybe making some type of advance towards her or even, you know, and obviously this is all just speculation. We're not saying this is what happened. But one of the theories is that maybe he was doing something inappropriate and she woke up. I know that he has sent texts to people saying she was asleep. So I'm assuming she was still asleep most of the way. What could she have done that made him so angry if she was asleep? So my little theory is that maybe he was doing something inappropriate. She woke up and was like, what the fuck are you doing? And he freaked out and thought, she was going to tell everyone and everyone would find out. So maybe it was just a spur of the moment decision that he shot her and then thought, oh my God, and shot himself. Like, I don't know how true this is. I've just seen people from the area talking about it, that Bailey had a girlfriend, but... Yes, I've seen that as well. Apparently he told his girlfriend to not go to the wedding or she wasn't at the wedding. Um, The person said that there's two stories on that. One is that... He told her not to come and that some sort of breakup ensued. And then the person also heard from someone close to the family that the girlfriend just had to work and that's why she wasn't there. Yeah. But it does add to the fact that maybe say they did break up and he just kind of acted impulsively towards Emery. He was pretty drunk. Yeah. To me, I just feel like the main reason I feel like this is probably maybe what happened is that what else could have happened? What else literally could have happened? I know. Like, I don't know, maybe, you know, obviously if you have a theory about what did happen, we'd love to hear it. But for me, I feel like this is the more likely scenario. Someone on Reddit made a comment and said, so he was obviously trying to fuck his cousin. She declined and threatened to tell people. And then the local person responded and said, You could be right. They grew up at a distance and she was five years older than him. He could have fantasized about that for years and finally had his chance and got shut down. Still doesn't explain the wreck, but I'll chalk that up to him being drunk. She was likely freaking out, was already pissed, perhaps from him trying to put moves on her earlier. And then he made a quick decision to shoot her than himself. Yeah. And, you know, like literally the shootings could have happened in 10 seconds. He shot her and tried to shoot himself and it missed or whatever and then like it wouldn't have had to take him long you know for him to think about what he was going to do he could have would could literally have been a second decision that that same person also said i just think it applies to what we've been saying was unfortunately many people locally who honored him with a vigil and a hero send-off have been trying to downplay this as some sort of complete accident i don't buy that this was a 21 year old testosterone filled male who was out alone at 3 a.m with a beautiful woman he was likely drunk and possibly driving drunk he was driving drunk he should never had an honorary funeral this is a disgrace one other thing that I find interesting and I would love to know more about is that there was a comment made on an Instagram post and someone wrote what happened and then someone else wrote uh, murdered by her cousin who also took his life. And then a few comments below is someone with the username Sherry Blanken. So that is Emery's mother. I'm assuming it's her right account. I had a look on Instagram under that username and it looks like it's her. I'm assuming no one made a fake account, but she replied and said, this is not what happened, so keep your fucking mouth shut. So if he didn't murder her, well, he did. He clearly did murder her, but what is she defending him for? What is she trying to cover up? Did he have some mental illness? Um, But still, as that being her mom, 
Like, no matter what, even if they knew somehow it was an accident, like, my mom wouldn't be on there defending him still. Like, maybe she wouldn't say anything bad, like, that he's a piece of shit or anything. But it's still his fault she's dead, whether it was an accident or not. And even for her to say that, like, if it was an accident, she could have said, this isn't what happened. It was an accident. But she didn't. So... So that makes me think that there is something that they know. So maybe, you know, that's why my thought maybe was he had some type of mental illness that they knew about and he, they feel bad for him because he just snapped. And I just, I would love to know what they're covering up. I can't, like the only thing for me that would be a mental illness thing that they could be ashamed of. What else, what other reason would they have not to be honest? It, unless it's something scandalous, like he made a move, but then even then, would they know? Yeah, then would know. you be defending him? No. Yeah, I saw a lot of people saying that they felt like this was like a setup and that a third person was involved that set it up to look like a murder-suicide, yeah. which I don't see at all. No, people are like so adamant about that. That's definitely what happened. But it would make no sense unless it really was this huge cover-up, but I don't get the point of it because who would that person be then? What, what are they even covering the, up? That they were both murdered by someone. That's what I mean. Like, who would this person be that the police felt the need mm. to cover up a double murder? It just doesn't make sense because then they would have had to have been in the car and shot them both for it to look like a murder-suicide while he was driving. And it was also a truck, so it's not like there's a ton of space. Is there even a back seat in the truck? Well, I don't know, because they do make note of the front passenger seat, so maybe there is, maybe it was a four-door Either way, I don't see it as some murder cover-up. I think that the majority of theories I've read online is that it was something sexual. Um, Maybe more likely that he made an advance towards her and she didn't like it and he got embarrassed and panicked. And for me, that makes the most sense. That's my yeah. It still just seems insane to me that someone's response to that is to shoot her and himself, but he was pretty drunk. Yeah. I don't know if it... He wouldn't be the first one, I guess, to have reacted yeah, like that it... either. It's just wild to think about and it's frustrating that there's no real answers or i'm sure that it's still considered an open investigation so you couldn't do like a freedom of information act request for anything Mm. i'd love to read their autopsies but i do feel that the report from the lee county commonwealth attorney was very very thorough like i've you know it's on the blog and we've it's it was very open i thought for a you know, a timeline of what happened. Usually they just say, okay, it was murder-suicide and that's it. You don't hear anything else. But they actually gave pages and pages of information about the timeline and what happened that night. So I would love to hear from people who were with them that night. You can message us. You can be anonymous if you'd like. Yeah. (laughs) I just can't imagine what happened that her mother would be kind of defending him. Hmm. And she is defending him, like, in multiple times, not just once before they knew what happened. This is still happening and like you know I get totally that his mother is Emery's mother's sister so that you know I'm not surprised that they've still remained close I just can't even imagine the stress that would put on a family I don't know maybe maybe because they've lost both their children they're working extra hard to protect both their legacies and all that type of stuff yeah I just she should just put her daughter First. Tell us what happened. That's all yeah, I want to know. Him, <laughs> at least leave it alone. Say why. <laughs> yeah. 
the last thing I just wanted to add is that I found an interesting article on this case on Medium and it was written by a woman called Amy Brooks and it's titled Honor, Emery, Connery and Bailey Smith Speak the Truth. So I'll put the whole article up on the blog but I just wanted to read a little bit out here because I think she captured really well what we've been trying to say in terms of Emery's death being swept under the rug and his being fanfare and procession and all that. So she said, Emery Connery, a 26-year-old woman, was murdered. This crime cannot be stated too plainly or too often because hers was a precious life. Her soul can never be restored to this world and her family will never hear her voice or her footsteps in their home again. Never smell her perfume, never receive a text or cook a holiday meal with her. I urge every parent, every sibling, every best friend in our town to pause and consider the full weight of her loss. Worse than a natural death, her existence, was, her existence was ripped from her. This bears some silence and respect. It bears saying aloud that Emery Connery's story is forever tied now to the legacy and history of Big Stone Gap and its people. Maybe she wasn't from here, but she is one of our own, finally and irrevocably. If we believe in anything sacred, we must honour her and speak her name, and we must tell the truth about what was done to her in our home. She goes on to say, I never met Bailey Smith. Clearly he was dear in the hearts of many of us. What is he owed in death as the perpetrator of a terrible crime and as a victim of a terrible crime against his own precious self? To look away from his suffering, to use flags and badges to numb ourselves to reality seems too cruel. To Bailey, to his victim, to family seeking answers and to a community that must recover from the bomb-like impact of a murder-suicide. About this suffering too, we must tell the truth. However ugly the reality is uncovered, they begin to lose their power to destroy us when we confront them together. When we call violence and illness by their right names, we begin to heal them as a community. In this way, we honour Bailey more fully than with slogans and propaganda. We say goodbye by recognising him for who he truly was, broken, suffering and ultimately loved. Which I thought was a nice um, tribute, especially to Emery, who didn't seem to get as much public acknowledgement as Bailey. So I don't know in terms of Emery and Bailey if we'll ever know what led to the deaths. I don't even know if the families know. I'm assuming they know a little bit more at least than what we do, but they've been silent for over a year now, so I don't know that we'll ever hear anything more about that. But I did find one final quote that I wanted to share about Emery, and it was from her brother Kyle. He said, Emery was my triplet sister. She was the most amazing, beautiful, badass and inspiring woman I'll ever know. Clinton, I love you and can't wait to see you again. You'll forever be a part of us. I'd love to know what her brothers have to say. Yeah, I do admit I was a creep and I looked at their social media, but there's nothing. Only one of them has social media. I can't remember which one, but when I looked on the one that they did, it was, there's nothing much on there. There is a video of them arm wrestling on one of on his account, which was cute to watch. Um, but nothing, you know, revealing about their deaths. So I think that's it. Unless you have anything else? No, I mean. I've just looked it up just to double check we haven't left anything out. And so the only updates on the case, there was September 2019, which is when the Commonwealth attorney released the report, and the other one was from 14th of May, which just mentions the memorial scholarship, and that's it. There's nothing else. I'd like to think we'd get more of an answer one day, but it seems to have been swept under the rug. If anyone is local and has any thoughts on it or the people involved, feel free to shoot us a message. I know that we have a lot of locals on the threads that we have for Emery. Um, and if anyone does have anything they want to share, you can make a fake email and just send it through to us at truecrimesociety at gmail.com. Or if you're happy, you know, we keep it all anonymous, obviously, but 
you can either send us a message on the page or, you know, whatever's the easiest way for you guys to get information to us. We'd love to hear anything else. I think that is it for the week. If you want to make sure you check out our blog, I've done a really, you know, speaking myself up, but I'm quite <laughs> proud of the blogs that we have for Emery and Bailey. I took down the original one just because some of the links were broken. So I've put up a brand new blog with everything all in one place. So check that out. It's got all their social media screenshots, all that type of stuff. So that's at truecrimesociety.com. And you can check us out on all social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, just by searching True Crime Society. Next week, we plan to cover Holly Bobo, which was a really big thing when it was ongoing. I feel like it's kind of not been forgotten about, but people don't think about it as much. But it is a really interesting one. So if all goes according to plan, next week we will be talking about Holly Bobo. Exciting. I am interested in that one. I followed it, but not super, super closely. So... Yeah, Nikki's been helping me research it. She didn't know anything about it when we started. I was like, I promise you, I think it's interesting. <laughs> She's been pretty into it. So That's hopefully right. also give be. a shout out to Kendall. Kendall helped me get the stats and some of the other murder-suicide examples. So thank you to her for that. And on that note, we'll see you next time. See you. Bye. <laughs>